Welcome to Narcissistic Abuse Rehab. I'm your host, M. Our topic for today is why normal conflict resolution strategies don't work with high conflict personalities. Our special guest is Samantha Drum, an experienced personal injury attorney and high conflict strategist. Today, we're going to delve into the workings of high conflict personalities within legal disputes, exploring how they perpetuate confrontations, distort facts, and undermine the pursuit of justice. Samantha is also going to share some of the tools she's created to help you minimize the impact of the aggression of high-conflict people in your life. So without further ado, welcome to Narcissistic Abuse Rehab, Samantha. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So a lot of our listeners are dealing with people with dysfunctional narcissism. It's a common feature in high-conflict personalities. And there are a lot of people, nevertheless, who are unfamiliar with the term. So, Samantha, can you share a clear definition of the term high-conflict personality? Yeah, so a high-conflict personality is a person who engages in patterns of thinking and behavior that tends to escalate conflict on a continuous level um, rather than de-escalate conflict or try to resolve conflict. So they like to initiate conflict and they actually receive reward from initiating conflict with others. And they basically have accepted that conflict is just normal in their way of life. Um, And so they expect it in their interactions with others and they have just allowed it to be a defining factor of their relationships. The term high conflict personality encompasses people who are on the shallow and more extreme ends of the spectrum of dark traits. So please explain how the mindset of a high conflict personality can impact personal disputes and legal processes. Why are they so combative? Yeah, well, I think it's because the way that their brain works, they engage in a lot of problematic thinking patterns. And so they don't think about the world or view the world through the same lens as most people who think clearly, or even if they don't necessarily think clearly, they have a general positive way of viewing the world, whereas high conflict people, they just have a more negative outlook on life. And so they have a lot of what are called cognitive distortions. So they think a lot in all or nothing types of thinking. They have emotional reasoning. They engage in a lot of should thinking because they truly believe that the world should operate the way they want it to or the way they expect it to. They're not very adaptable um, and they always want to be right. And so they tend to have a general mistrust of others because people don't typically think the way they do. And so they know better Um, and they have a need to be the center of attention. And so all this kind of wraps into why they're constantly causing chaos in the lives of others um, and their own, but they don't attribute it to themselves. They think it's other people who are the problem. In a lot of these situations, it's also a way that they can remain in contact with people who don't want to be in contact with them. Yeah, it's really interesting because they, they do so many, they engage in so many behaviors that would push people away, but they don't have a self-awareness to realize that they're causing people to want to be away from them and apart from them and so then they're constantly looking to pull them back in because again they don't believe that they're the problem and so they don't understand why someone would want to be away from them and would want to interact with them it's so true and i think often when you're targeted by people like this there's the sense that the person is aggressing against you and seems terrifying because of the behavior but what gets missed is that they're terrified of not having control of losing control. Yes. 
Yes, they're absolutely terrified of losing control and they're afraid of, I think a lot of times they develop an idea that you, even though they cause so much chaos in your life, you're still a safe person in their life. And a lot of this kind of comes down to attachment styles and they have like a disorganized attachment. And so they want control over you, but they also want this perceived safety that you give them that they don't have when you're not around. Exactly. And I'm so glad you're bringing that up because I wanted to, while I have you here, get into the mechanics of these personalities and ask you, what are the key traits to look for in a high conflict person? How do you spot them? And what creates, why do they create intransigence? Yeah. yeah so I would say the key traits to look for is someone who, so again, it goes back to patterns of thinking and behavior. Yeah. So if you're trying to spot someone, look and see if they're constantly causing some kind of chaos. If they're constantly starting fights, they're constantly trying to blame other people. Um, look to see how you feel around these people because a lot of times they put on masks. Mm -hmm. And so initially you feel okay with them, but they start saying like weird things that kind of immediately get your, like your, your sirens flashing. Like this is weird. This feels uncomfortable, um, but they'll do things to kind of set you at ease. And so pay attention to their words and their behaviors, and then pay attention to how they react when things are not going their way. And if you are getting like alarms going off in all of those areas, and you know, it's, and it can be over a period of time, just depending on how much they can mask their behavior. Um, but pay attention to how you're feeling because your gut is usually not wrong mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to these kind of people, but we are very good at trying to justify behavior mm -hmm. and try to make it make sense for us in our brains uh, because we don't want to see that, or we don't want to just expect that someone is kind of um, rude or a jerk or, you know, don't, they don't have our best interests in mind, which is not typical because you are used to seeing 90% of people behaving appropriately. It's true. And I find in these situations, one of the, the giveaways that I've observed and that many of my clients have observed is this, that uh, high conflict people often feel wounded. You'll hear them saying things like, they're not getting the respect that they deserve. There is a lot of self-pitying. I think it's because, you know, I think at some point in their life, someone made them feel very unspecial. And so they spend the rest of their life trying to compensate for that because they don't want to believe that. And it may or may not even be true. Um, but I think that when things go wrong, they, they're, they're doing their best to constantly try to elevate themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so they'll just do that in any way that they can, um, especially like when when conflict does arise, mm -hmm. immediately one of the ways they try to elevate themselves is by blaming other people, you know, where they have a mentality that someone has to take the fall, like someone has to be at fault when things go wrong. Um, and I think it's because they're trying so badly to preserve their ego and make sure that they still feel comfortable in the situation. This is one of the thinking errors that if they aren't perfect, if they make mistakes, then they're no longer special. And it goes back to what you brought up earlier this sort of all or nothing thinking, because that's the pain of high conflict people. They either see themselves as all good or all bad. And if they go, I mean, it's terrifying to them to consider the all bad because then they kind of collapse, they implode. 
it's a really uncomfortable thing to think that like there I have inadequacies. Like even even if you have healthy coping skills as a regular person, you still feel a level of shame when something goes wrong. And so most people are just able to cope with it or at least talk themselves through it. Whereas these other high conflict people don't have those strategies or skill sets, or even if they can talk to themselves about it, their feelings override the logic. And so they still act out because the feelings are too strong. People or healthy or well-adjusted people can navigate emotions because emotions for them, changing emotions are like the weather. And sometimes there's rain or shine, but people who are emotionally fragile, they can only tolerate the sunshine. I love that. That is really good. (laughs) I like the way you think about that. I wanted to sort of, because I mentioned, I looked at your, your website and I have been researching your work and I noticed that there was a key word that kept coming up. It's one of my favorite ones, and that's empowerment. And so I know you're passionate about that, and I wanted to go over what you think are some of the things that make people vulnerable to high-conflict personalities. I think one of the biggest ones is you. if you don't realize you're dealing with a high-conflict personality, you unintentionally tend to escalate the problem. Because if you don't, if you don't know what you're doing or who you're up against, you're, you tend to engage in your own defense, defensive behaviors because you feel very put on the spot and you're not used to like, what is this person doing? They're going totally off script from what normal people would do. Um, so you tend to unintentionally escalate the problems and you can get into what's called a negative feedback loop with a high conflict personality where they're perceiving this threat from you and then you're almost like fulfilling this prophecy that they have about you and then they lash out and then you lash out again and it just kind of continuates this cycle and so I think that that's one of the biggest problems is if you do not recognize that you're up against a high conflict personality versus just a normal person you're not going to know oh I need to I need to stop being defensive right now and I need to be calm and reasonable and even maybe just stop talking so that it doesn't keep you know, boiling over and keep getting um, more and more intense. Um, and then I think another thing is that if you don't recognize that you're dealing with a high conflict personality, they, they're very preoccupied with blaming people. And so a lot of times you will start to believe the blame that they're putting on you. And then you'll start taking responsibility for it. And you'll say things like, I'm sorry, which validates their incorrect way of thinking. Oh, you said, I'm sorry, proof. There's proof that you're the problem, not me. And so you end up enabling this behavior rather than putting limitations on it. That's so true. That is very, very true. And I think often, you know, something that's not really discussed is that high conflict personalities can also be incredible charmers. They can also be very lovable. What are some questions we can ask ourselves when we are challenged by these personalities? Why do I not value my own wants and needs as equal to Mm -hmm. the high conflict personality's wants and needs? Why am I willing to make the sacrifices that they're expecting me to make, but they're not willing to make any of the sacrifices that I would want them to make to make this a cohesive relationship? Why is it that I am allowing myself to be the one who's constantly settling? Um, You know, basically, is is it something that I don't feel like I'm worthy? Do I not 
recognize my own value or am I just too uncomfortable to say something? Mm. And why am I willing to settle for this type of discomfort instead of the discomfort of challenging them, but coming out with a better end result through that challenge? It's so interesting because when I listen to you, what I hear you saying is that the opportunity for high, high conflict people to exploit others can arise when someone is neglecting to uphold their boundaries. Yes. Yeah. I think that's really a, a huge part of how they get so much power is, you know, basically they kind of take on this like tyrannical playing field and they, they're the ones calling all the shots. And if no one is willing to step in and say, I need to put an end to this tyranny. Like there are rules and structures and things that, you know, need to be respected. I need to be respected. And I also need to afford do the same respect. Um, you know, if no one's willing to step in and say that's enough, like really those words, like you need to be willing to say that's enough. Yeah, that's very, very true. Uh, something that I've observed in a lot of these situations is that you'll have a high conflict person really being aggressing against someone and going to town on them. But then in other relationships, they're on the receiving end of aggression from others. It's a lot like, I don't know if you've seen the series Succession. No, I haven't. It's about a sort of very um, grandiose uh, billionaire who has a lot of damage and is, is very aggressive with his children and the people who work for him. And then in the scenes after he's been aggressive with them, they in turn start to aggress and act out with others that they feel are lower on the hierarchy. What I, I often take away from those situations is it all depends on your standards. It is incumbent upon each of us to uphold our standards for our dignity. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I, like what you're saying, it's not that you're trying to say all of the responsibility lies on you to make sure you're not getting abused by a high conflict personality, because that's not true. But there is some responsibility that you have in protecting yourself and protecting your values. And so, um, so basically, I, like, I think that one of the ways that you could handle that is by getting very clear on what your values are and getting very clear on what you're willing to tolerate because there is going to be, in every relationship, there's going to be some level of discomfort and you're going to have arguments. You're going to have rifts and you're not going to get along. But there is a point where you say to yourself, okay, I understand that there's going to be difficulties, but this is when it's gone too far. Everything you're saying and the lesson in this discussion we're having, it reminds me of someone who passed away recently and that's Tina Turner. Her life changed the moment her standards changed. The moment she decided she wasn't, she would do whatever she had to do to get out of the situation and take ownership of her life and her narrative. And she did have a fight to, to take her brand, you know, her business brand with her. She didn't get any money, but she got her name. But that was all she needed because she walked away with those standards and made a decision that she would never be treated like that again. So I thought... That says so much about empowerment because it's not something that anyone can give you. It's something that you have to create. Yeah, I, I really resonate with that story because, well, I'm an attorney and I, you know, I'm used to dealing with difficult people. But it's, it's funny because there's almost a spectrum with attorneys where there are very nice guy attorneys who they, they choose to practice kind of like in certain areas of law because there's less 
uh, disagreement there. And so they don't have to go up in front of a judge and they don't have to be uncomfortable. And then there are really aggressive attorneys. And um, I started out as being a very much a people-pleasing attorney. And it was not <laughs> it was not a good place to be. I, I didn't feel like I was doing a good job with my clients. And I just kind of felt like pretty low, like this, you know, this kind of sucks. And it almost transferred to like, you know, my goodness, if I can't even stand up for other people, like how am I going to stand up for myself? And so I had to have a shift in my way of thinking to say like, no, I, I need to step up and I need to be courageous mm -hmm. in my actions and I need to be prepared to let people down and know I'm going to let people down and I need to accept that because my job isn't to be a people pleaser. My job isn't to go with the flow. My job is literally to represent people in a way that allows them to be successful. And so um, I think Tina Turner kind of in the same way, she did the same thing. Her job was not to be pleasing all of these people who were you know, helping her with her fame, but it, her job was to represent herself and take her name and go make something for herself despite the pushback. I think that these situations, they're extremely difficult, but if you learn the lessons they bring with them, it's gold. You can end up living your best life. There, you can end up finding what your purpose is even. Like in your situation, you became better at what you do. Once you have a sort of hold on these personalities, it becomes solid ground. That's what the standards are. Yeah, yeah well, and it's funny too, because like I don't suddenly feel like I'm just this all-powerful person. I definitely still have moments where, especially if I'm dealing with a high conflict attorney who's opposing counsel, like I still feel panicky. But because I've learned these skills, I have learned I feel panicky, but I can manage this panic. I can still see through to the end of the tunnel and I know I'm going to get through it. And I know I have these skills that are available to me to use so that even though I'm feeling a certain way, I'm going to keep chugging forward with the skills, knowing that there is going to be an end point where I stop feeling this way. And I just need to learn to manage how I'm feeling right now. Mm, that's so very, very interesting because the tools you've created are based on lived experience. And they're very unique in that way. It's not sort of, and that's why it was so important to mention at the beginning of our discussion that you, you have a legal background, yes, but you're also somebody who has developed skills to, to provide strategic advice due to the things that you've gone through yourself. I know a lot of people, they've gotten legal counsel from people who have no clue about these personalities. They've never really experienced that themselves. And so even though they might give a huge retainer to a very reputable attorney, that attorney might not quite have a grasp on what they're dealing with at home. Right, right. Yeah, I actually know quite a few attorneys. because it, it's, Honestly, it's not something that's talked about very much in the legal field outside of, like, um, family law. Mm -hmm. It like, I would say most attorneys in family law have some idea of what a high-conflict personality is because it happens the most often in, you know, legal disputes with families. Um, so, you know, when it's like coming to adoption or guardianships or divorce. Um, but it's really funny because I don't think people exist in all areas of the law. They can be attorneys, they can be judges, um, you know, they can be clients. And so, um, yeah, I think that I, I wish that more people, more attorneys knew about it uh, because there is a different way of handling it. Um, rather than allowing things to get out of control. And those cases tend to take longer <laughs> because there's so much chaos. Um, 
So yeah, it would be very helpful for more attorneys to know that this is a real thing and that there are good strategies that you can use to minimize the effect on the case. I, as an attorney, I know who these people are. I, I can recognize them and I still feel scared when I'm up against one. Mm -hmm. I do, I feel very scared. But I, I think one of the biggest things that your listeners can take away from this is despite the fear that you feel with them, that doesn't mean you automatically lose and you do need to put up a fight because you're just empowering that fear mongering in them if you don't. The fear is actually a gift. I mean, anxiety in a sort of not um, chronic measure is actually good for us. It makes us more resilient. But the fear, mm -hmm. that's something that I don't know if you read a book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. It's our sort of internal alarm system to let us know when we're around somebody who's dangerous. It helps us. It's that feeling you get in your gut. And in, in my field, we say that that connects us to our inner warrior. So when you allow yourself to feel the fear, you don't suppress it. That warrior emerges. And it does. It makes you much more resilient. Well, especially because once you've been through the fear and you've seen it through and you've made it out the other end and you're like, okay, what were the consequences of that fear? Like what, mm. what actually ended up happening? Um, then you realize like, wow, I am a lot more... I'm a lot stronger than I gave myself credit for. Mm. I made it out. And that's proof. That's proof positive that I can deal with hard things. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so when you can prove to yourself, I can deal with hard things, the next hard thing comes along. You have evidence. I made it through this before. And so I'm going to give myself the credit to know I'm going to make it through this too. Yeah, that is very, very, very astute. Um, I, I have been in situations myself with high conflict people, um, but my strategy with them is pretty simple. Oftentimes with them, even the anger is performative. It's a way of controlling people. So when I've been in legal situations with them or conflicts or disputes with them, I ignore the anger and I ask the question, what do they want? The anger, the raging, the, 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 the pity plays, it's all a distraction. It's all the big circus, you know, mm -hmm. and it's to taking your eyes off of what they're trying to achieve with you, whether it's to, and it's often a very, a couple of different things, either to exploit you, humiliate you, but generally to make you carry shame that belongs to them. It is very performative. I, I call it chest puffing. Whenever I see a high conflict person doing something where like their voice gets louder or they like, they, I have literally watched them puff up their chest, like literally puff up their chest and hold themselves higher. And then they get like this funny look on their face where it's like this half smile, I, I like eyebrow raised kind of thing and very condescending. And it's like this, this show that they're putting on to show, oh, you think you can go against me. Um, but yeah, if you ignore the show, if you ignore the chest puffing and you just say, look, what, what, are, what is your goal? What is your, what is the end point that you're trying to achieve? Then you can just kind of get past that. And then they recognize, oh, like this didn't work as well as exactly. this person. One of the most famous ones I can think of is John Meehan of Dirty John fame who earned a living from being a high-conflict person and conning people into never-ending legal dramas. Are there any unique considerations to keep in mind when seeking to resolve a dispute with a high-conflict personality? Yeah, so especially if there's someone who's, like, litigation-happy, yeah. one of the things that I would really try to do is, in your interactions with them, always think about how, like, I, I already, this person has already proven to be not trustworthy. Right. So what do I need to do to protect myself? 
And so some of the ways that I can protect myself are to get things in writing. That way, if it does end up in front of a judge, then I have evidence instead of just a he said, she said. Because it's really hard when dealing with credibility issues in front of a judge to be like, well, they said this, Your Honor. But like, you don't have anything tangible to show them. Um, and so it's very helpful to have either text messages or email, or even if you can, like depending on the state that you're in, um, record the conversation with this high conflict person. That way you have something to show um, the judge. Um, it, but it also helps you to establish patterns of behavior with the judge because it's not enough to just go up to a judge and say, Your Honor, this person's a narcissist. Like the judge is going to discount you so fast. But if you show the judge patterns of behavior that show that this person is completely untrustworthy, they're unreliable, they consistently behave by, you know, putting people down, they have consistently lied, and I can show you, like, you know, the inconsistencies in their statements, mm -hmm. things like that, that can really help you to get an advantage so that you're kind of not allowing them to pull the wool over the judge's eyes and be someone so who's very charismatic. Because judges, like, when they're looking at people, like, they're saying that for the first time, and they're not going to remember until the next hearing when they have to review things, yeah. what's going on. And so if you can give them something solid to look at in a courtroom, and you can say, Your Honor, I'm going to read this to you. Yeah. Or, Your Honor, I'm going to show you this picture. I have something to give you that can show that I'm not being unreasonable. They are. Then you're much more likely to be successful against the high conflict personality, regardless of the tactics that they're using. Use, like, get, get proof of the tactics. That way you can be like, They're saying this, but this is something different. Like, I can show you differently. Yeah. And so you can use their tactics as a way of, like, pinning them down. Yeah to be more successful. So it's important or essential even to take an evidence-based approach to, to resolving these conflicts. I, it's almost like for me, when I am dealing with a high conflict personality in law, I take it as a very mechanical approach. What do I need to prove that, because basically I'm just coming from the, I have a burden of proof that I need to show the judge. What evidence do I need to prove to the judge that this person is unreasonable, that they are being ridiculous and outrageous, mm. and what can I give the judge so that they're, you know, much more likely to rule in my favor instead of just saying, Your Honor, they're mean. They hurt yeah. my feelings. They're always putting me down. They make me feel so scared. Why? Why do they make, why do they make you feel scared? What do you have to show the judge mm -hmm. so that, you know, if you have a statement that you want to say to the judge, then at least get evidence that you can say, this is how I feel based off of X, Y, and Z. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that uh, that can be the undoing of many people who end up in litigation because I think with high conflict personalities, they rule in the theater of emotion, but they seldom prevail in the, when you're using logic, when you're dispassionate, when you don't become emotional, when you're not reactive. Exactly. So like taking a mechanical approach, but also what's, what's really helpful with this is even if the judge is falling for their charismatic behavior, it's helpful to have everything on record. Yes. That way, if you need to go and say, like, Your Honor, you made the wrong decision here, like, I, I at least you can appeal it. And then you have another set of eyes from other judges who are farther away from it hmm. and who are going to look and say, did the judge do the job right? And so if the judge was being persuaded by emotion, hmm. then you at least have a remedy so that you can get that overturned. It brings me to my next question for you. Um, this one is a little tricky, but let's have a go at it. 
I've been seeing news reports that Fantastic Four actor Yoan Griffith, that his 13-year-old daughter has requested a restraining order against him and his partner, Bianca Wallace. And this arose amid abuse allegations by the daughter. Some people believe that Griffith's wife, his ex-wife rather, Alice Evans, is using family estrangement tactics to drive a wedge between her ex and their children. So we're not going to speculate about the right and wrong of the matter, but I'm bringing it up because many people are going through similar situations, and I wanted to get your take on what might be an effective way to diffuse those kinds of conflicts and protect children when there's a lot of dysfunction, a lot of emotional dysregulation and, and hurt feelings all around. Mm-hmm. So I would say that, you know, I, I, I can't take a side on who is right or wrong. What I can say is it is very common for high conflict personalities to use estrangement tactics with their kids. And so I think that one of the best ways to protect children is by giving them a neutral third party who they can go to alone without mm-hmm. the parent, either present, a parent present. And then that person who is a professional um, would be in the best position to tell a judge what's going on, but also help the kid navigate their mm-hmm. emotions through this whole crazy situation. Yeah, that's a that's a very good answer. Um, and I hope it's it's something that resonates with people who are going through this, because oftentimes the best interests of the children get lost in these sort of ego trips. Just for the, the sake of fairness, turn the question around. And let's say that the daughter in that situation or a child in that situation um, is not being manipulated, but needs to file a restraining order. Is it the same advice for a child in that situation? I definitely still, yes, they would, I would definitely ask, you know, if I'm the mom and, you know, my ex-husband really is this person that, you know, I'm saying he is, and we really do need a restraining order, then I'm going to ask the judge to appoint some kind of counselor, or I myself will just go and involve her in some kind of counseling. That way her needs are take, being taken care of. Um, I'm also going to make sure that I am not saying anything about the husband in front of the child that could be considered me making kind of estrangement statements. Um, because even if I'm feeling this way, and maybe those feelings are true, I don't want a judge to think that I am persuading her in any one direction. Um, and then another thing that I would do is, again, if he really is behaving in a way that is harmful to the child, by collecting text messages, by recording what's going on, um, all of that stuff would be helpful for a judge when he's evaluating this restraining order to know, like, we're not making this up, Your Honor. This is serious. And for her safety, for the sake of her safety, it needs to be taken seriously and needs to be granted. Yeah, that's a that's a great answer. And I think it uh, it provides useful information for people on either side of that kind of a conflict. Um, so what I wanted to ask you, and this is something that's also going to rely on your experience, what are the key factors that contribute to positive outcomes in conflict resolution with these types of personalities, the combative ones? Yeah, so again, kind of going back to what I said earlier, I think one of the biggest shifts that I had with conflict resolution was learning to take my wants and my needs seriously. Um, And once I started getting very clear on what my values were and very clear on the fact that my values were as important as the high conflict personalities values, that really opened up such a world of freedom for me. 
because I didn't feel like I was sitting there justifying, well, this is why I want it. I didn't explain why I wanted it anymore. I just said, no, this is just what I want. And you don't have to agree with me. I don't expect you to agree with me, but I'm not giving in. And so that was a really big shift for me. It's saying what I want, being kind of short, sweet, to the point, and not backing down, no matter how much manipulation I was hearing. And how much pushback I was getting. Basically, you know, kind of just think of yourself as like, I'm going to set my feet in concrete and don't invite opportunities for them to convince you to go a different way. Uh, just say, you know what, I, I already told you what I have to say and that's, that this is, this is where I stand on this issue. And then um, don't be afraid when they inevitably call you names. So they might call you things like, oh, you're just so difficult. You just, you know, you, you're so illogical. Um, and a lot of people like, immediately want to prove that that's wrong like the immediate reaction is like no i'm not difficult like i'll show you and so then they end up like falling on their sword to prove that they're not difficult um but it's to their detriment mm -hmm. so if someone calls you a name um you know through it all and you're like well it's not true i'm not difficult just be satisfied in the truth of you know you're not being difficult mm -hmm. and even if you are being difficult it's only in response to their difficult behavior you're not naturally a difficult person um but you you can't back down i love what you're saying because what i hear you saying is that it's important for people who are in disputes with high conflict personalities to detach to detach emotionally from a need for their validation for a need uh, for them to believe you or to see things your way, that what I hear you saying is that the, the main focus of your action should be to get your needs met, period. Yes, your needs met. Um, and even if that means they're not the ones meeting your needs, you're meeting your needs. You are responsible to at some level of meeting your own needs. And so, yes, I absolutely think that you do need to detach from a sense of validation from them because you're not going to get it. That's not what they're there for. They're there for you to validate them. <laughs> so be comfortable in self-validation. And my goodness, even if you need to, because like high conflict people, they, they don't just like come into your life and they're like very brief and then they leave. Like usually they kind of stick around a while, even if you're trying to get rid of them. And so if you can even just take on a practice of learning small ways of validating yourself in calm times, that way, when things get more stormy with a high conflict personality, you have that practice. You already know how to say, no, I am enough. I am worthy. My needs and my wants are acceptable. And I'm not being selfish by asking for them. And I can be reasonable. I will be reasonable. And I'm going to, I'm not going to be dragged down by this person. You know, making that kind of like a part of your, your daily life so that when things do get testy, mm -hmm. you're prepared for it and you're ready. And you're like, I knew this was coming. Yeah. I was ready for it. Yeah. And like now, like now it's time for action. Like I'm, I'm going to self-validate now mm -hmm. because they're not going to, they're not going to give me any kind of validation through this storm. Um, I love what you're saying because it's so much about that. This person doesn't define me. This experience doesn't define me. Uh, I define me. Yes. And, and not giving anyone else that type of power over you yeah. but that's something that belongs to you and i think that that's one of the yeah. big lessons of these experiences yeah um i heard someone the other saying basically like you know no one really can have power over you unless you hand it over to them and so i need to be discerning 
and how I hand over that power. And also recognizing that when someone has violated their power over me, mm-hmm. I am well within my rights to take back my power and yeah. say no more. And that comes to mind is some, um, a strategy a previous guest shared with me, um, Dr. Michael Kinsey, about dealing with high conflict people. And he called it the broken record strategy. That you just stay on your point like a broken record and repeat it, repeat it, repeat it calmly and assertively, no matter what's thrown at you, no matter what emotions they try to elicit in you. Because high conflict people try to elicit the worst ones. Your your shame, your your fear of abandonment, your insecurities, um, feeling ostracized. But if you let go of those things and you just stay on track, you stay on point and like a broken record, stick with asserting your, your wants and needs, it can be effective. Right. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, along with that broken record technique, uh, another thing that I would do if, you know, if they're like, if they won't give up because they do tend to just like, they'll, they'll dig in their heels and they will like kind of almost make you feel like you're suffocating. Uh, you know, if that is not working long-term, then you are well within your rights to table an issue and say, I'm not talking about this right now. I got to go. I'll talk to you later when you're in a better position to, you know, to actually get somewhere with me. But right now the conversation's over and like being, feeling strong enough to be able to walk away from that, from the conversation and knowing it doesn't need to be resolved right now. No, it doesn't. Um, And Samantha, what would you say to someone who is up against a high conflict person someone who relies on control to cope with their insecurities and who is more interested in denial and blame shifting to quote unquote, win the dispute rather than solve the issue. How can the argument playbook, the tool you created, help people develop the mindset and skills to navigate these kinds of difficult disputes? Yeah. So I think that a lot of people, you know, conflict is scary. It, it makes people very uncomfortable. And like most people, you know, basically like you think about it, fight, flight, freeze or fawn like that's how people react <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like i'm gonna freak out and run away or whatever um but the argument playbook is meant to teach you five skills that help you to say okay conflict has arisen it's with this really difficult person i don't need to fight them and i don't need to fly away from them and i don't need to freeze and i don't need to pander to them what i need to do is i need to get what like you know i need to understand what my values are again and then from there what what do i know is the solution to this or what like what solution i can propose to this and then these skills kind of give you like the roadmap Mm -hmm. to get to that resolution so um i talk about clarifying um by asking questions so usually they make these crazy statements that are just like so outlandish and everything because <laughs> like, like, they're all or nothing. So mm-hmm. they make like really grandiose statements. Um, so you can clarify, like, you know, asking what questions, how questions, why questions, clarify with them. What do you mean when you say that? How many people were actually there? Everyone's, you know, everyone said this. Well, who is everyone? Can you narrow it down? So asking these questions listening to understand so not to refute you're not there to just give them an answer but you want to actually understand where they're coming from because to your point what you said earlier what do they want if you listen and understand you can start understanding what they want and then whether or not you're willing to give it to them Mm -hmm. um but also empathizing by acknowledging their feelings 
And so they have very big feelings that they don't know how to deal with. But even just saying simple things like, I understand where you're coming from. I may not agree with you, but I understand. It, it, it makes sense that you would feel like this. Or, yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, so empathizing with them. And then the next skill would be agreeing when possible. Because when you build common ground with them, you're showing them, I'm not here to just stand against you. If there's something I can genuinely agree with you on, like I'm not losing anything by genuinely agreeing with you. And then the final one is just repeat. If you need to... Ask the questions again, listen to understand it again, empathize by acknowledging their feelings, and then agree when possible. And this can actually get you through a conversation instead of just being a, either a yelling match or you just shutting down and retreating. I think something that when you're being attacked by a high conflict personality that is missed is that they're terrified. They're terrified. And so they project strength, they project aggression, but inside, they are terrified and it's why they are resorting to these extremes. So that is the reason why empathy is effective because it diffuses, it, right. it, it sort, of, sort of turns down the volume on their terror. What they essentially want to know is that they're not going to be humiliated because they, they can't abide that. For them, that is equal to death. It's why they act the way they do. Um, and so I think you're making one of the most important points that you can make in these situations is that your powers of empathy can serve you. Right. Because then once you've done that, you kind of allowed for the escalation to flatline. And so then when you do propose your solution, you've done a lot of the groundwork showing, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. Okay, now here's my solution. And they're more likely to listen. Are they going to resolve it right then and there? Maybe not, but again, you can always table the issue and come back to it. And everything doesn't need to be resolved right now. Mm. And so you can give yourself time and you can get to the solution. But like in the meantime, you're showing them that you are a safe person. Yeah, it's, it's such an important point. And it brings me to my next question. Samantha, I want to talk about another one of the tools you've created for our listeners, the Smear Campaign Survival Guide. I found this one especially interesting because I create content and solutions from a trauma-informed mental health perspective, and I think people can also benefit from learning strategies from a legal perspective. So can you please share a bit with our listeners about the Smear Campaign Survival Guide? Yeah, so I think the whole point that I was trying to make with the smear campaign survival guide is when you are the victim of a smear campaign, everything feels out of control and the world really feels like it's falling in on you and you get paranoid and you start acting out because you want to prove the smear campaign wrong and then you can unintentionally start causing more chaos where people are just like oh <laughs> like that person was right about you know about you um and so my point with the smear campaign survival guide is to give tools and strategies and mindsets that would allow people to like slow down slow down and it's so much better when you're under fire and under attack to just take a step back and allow yourself to see the world for what it really is and not get caught up in the idea that everyone thinks this about me. Everyone has this opinion now and really put your mind into perspective because once you're able to like ground yourself in reality, then you can decide, well, what do I want to do now? And again, it goes back to your values. What do I want to do? 
I don't have to say anything. Or if I do say something, I want to do it in a way that doesn't ruin my credibility. And that shows, like, because basically the whole point is you're trying to show that you're not the crazy person that they say you are instead of telling people that you're not the yeah. crazy person <laughs> that they yeah. say you are. So it's, it's action speaks so much louder than words. So when you slow down, you take a calm approach and you allow yourself to have the mindset of, I'm going to make it through this. It's not going to last forever. Everyone cannot possibly think this about me. It is impossible. And so I'm going to keep my head on straight and I am going to act appropriately and show people who I really am. And then they can make whatever decision they want about me. But at the end of the day, even then, whatever opinion they have about me doesn't define who I am. And I still need to be comfortable moving forward knowing that they may not change their mind. And there is so much power in just recognizing I don't have to have everything fixed right now. And I just, again, I need to learn how to cope with how I'm feeling about the situation. It's it's excellent advice. It um, As you're describing uh, strategies and ways of moving through this, I'm thinking of real-world examples of it. And what comes to mind is Nicole Kidman in her divorce from Tom Cruise. Mm. A lot of things were said about her in public um, as they were going through the divorce. She went from... A relationship where she was very much loved by her husband, but his view of her changed for whatever reason. Um, so she was heavily criticized and she never responded. She let it roll off her back and within two or three years she had an Oscar and had a career mm-hmm. independent of that marriage. And it's not really to say that one person is right or one person is wrong, you know, who knows. But what was interesting was the power of not responding emotionally to the smear, of not feeling a need to prove your innocence and prove that you're right, simply by not submitting to the control and getting into the conversation. From the perspective of I have been in a smear campaign, I've been the victim of one um, from a high conflict coworker. Um, and it was, it was, so basically the smear campaign was to my boss and I was a brand new attorney, very young, very inexperienced. And so I had a lot more to lose than the guy doing the smear campaign. And uh, so, yeah, this comes from experiencing and me learning to just keep my mouth shut and only talk about things that proved that I was not the employee that they said I was. And, um, you know, and it took, it took a few months of just, you know, not allowing myself to panic and just, I'm here to do a job. And I'm going to do my job really well. And whatever they say, I'm just going to like, I'm going to lean in the opposite way. (laughs) So when they say I'm not a team player, I'm going to volunteer for this stuff. Um, You know, and I'm going to do it well. I'm going to do it with pride and excellence. Um, You know, and I'm not going to let myself be hiding under my desk. I'm going to sit up straight and I'm going to be confident in my work and know that I do a good job. No matter what they say, they can't take that away from me. And so that's where I'm coming from, from the perspective uh, when I wrote that smear campaign survival guide is I've been through it. I have felt the genuine fear. I have felt the despair, but I just knew I'm going to get through this and I'm going to get out of it. And I have a wonderful job still, and I have a wonderful setup in what I'm able to do. And they, you know, they didn't believe it in the end. And, um, and, you know, my, my, my work speaks for itself. And so, so I hope that people can take that away from the survival guide that you don't need to be defined by other people's words. No, absolutely. I think that that is 
amazing. What a what a testament to your own resilience. And I think it's it's important for people who are going to download this tool to know that it's coming from somebody who who went through it, who lived it and came out the other side. Samantha, thank you so much for sharing your insight on narcissistic abuse we have today. It's been informative. It's been empowering to hear your perspective. If you'd like to reach out to Samantha or learn more about her work, visit controlledconfrontation.com. And you can also follow her at Controlled Confrontation on TikTok, Instagram, mm-hmm. and Facebook. Thank you so much, Samantha. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed our insightful conversation with Samantha Drum today. Now it's your turn to share your take, so please leave a comment on our social media channels. I put links for you in the show notes. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, send your suggestions to hello at NarcissisticAbuseRehab.com. If you found this message helpful, please hit the like button and subscribe to our channel. We're building this channel for you to help you on your healing journey. If you know someone who could use this message today, please share it with them or on your social media. For more free resources or for more of my help, visit NarcissisticAbuseRehab.com. There's a link for you in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Narcissistic Abuse Rehab podcast today. Please join us again for the next episode. Guys, That's it for now. Be good to yourself and we'll talk again soon.